Talks podcast, you're with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is a sprint canoeist for Team GB. Hailing from Motherwell, Scotland, our guest has just returned from the Tokyo Games, having reached one Olympic final and two semifinals. She is a double bronze medalist at the World Juniors in 2015. In addition, she achieved her first international senior medal with a bronze at the World Cup held in Hungary. A warm, warm welcome to Deborah Kerr. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Good, 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 good. good. Yeah, we're looking forward to you, actually. Um, as I said to you um, just before we started recording, um, I've done a lot of research into you and there are a lot of things that I kind of want to um, unpack. So, yeah, um, th- I definitely know this is going to be a good one. Anyway. Oh, oh it will. Oh, don't worry. It will. <laughs> so um, we have a routine. Um, we like to take our guests all the way back. So can you think of your first living memory of a sport, either playing or watching? So I think my first memory is playing rugby at primary school. Okay. I say rugby, touch rugby. Okay, yeah. um, mm. And basically not taking part in it because I was too scared. I just stood at the side. <laughs> <laughs> Let everyone else do okay. it. And what sport did you like the most when you were younger? Uh, I think I'd probably have to say something like cross country because okay. not particularly because I enjoyed it, but because I was quite, well, yeah. I say quite good at it. That's blowing my own trumpet. But um, yeah, I quite liked winning things oh okay so, <laughs> interesting so how did how did cross country find you or how did you find cross country uh just through school so i was swimming at the time as well so you know what pe teachers are like they just pluck anyone that's mm. got any sort of sporting background yeah. and put them into whatever they can yeah. so yeah wow cross country i hated cross country <laughs> <laughs> to be honest i wasn't really good at cross country i was more of a fast person so yeah cross country wasn't my thing um, what other sports did you do when you were younger? Uh, so I've always swam since probably I was about three or four. Um, and yeah, just loads of stuff at school. Not that I was any yeah. good at much stuff. I was just, I think I was physically quite, like I had quite good lungs and stuff and I could go for a long time, but anything involving okay. a ball, I was just absolute pants at. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's why I kind of steered towards the simpler sports, I guess, but maybe the more physiologically hard ones. It's interesting um, because obviously what you're doing now and it really starts, you started with um, swimming also, um, integral part, water is an integral part of it. So um, what was, what, what did you like and what didn't you like about swimming? I find swimming quite antisocial and I think I'm quite a sociable person. Mm. I just felt like whenever my head was above the water, I was gasping for air. And then obviously you're staring at a tiled floor for the rest of the session. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I loved racing with swimming. It was probably my first taste of like a more kind of professional setup of sport. And um, I remember watching the Beijing Olympics and thinking, oh, that looks really good. And, and I could see that I was doing similar things to them and having to like stand or like sit still on the, the dive board and stuff before. Um, and it was the same sort of like environment. It all got quiet and then 
you dove in and you couldn't hear anything or like so yeah I just quite liked kind of the professionalism that came along with swimming without it going to like a really high level okay and would you say your family were a family that um pushed you or supported you a lot when you were doing um, all of these sports when you were younger yeah they definitely supported me um I think I was at like at least two things every night um one of them would have been something like choir that I really enjoyed going to and then I would be pulled along to swimming to go there with my little brother at the same time so that my mum could have an hour to herself (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no that's goes without saying that I've been very very well supported by my my parents and my whole family throughout my sport career. It's interesting you mentioned um, Beijing 2008 because wasn't that the year that you started um, canoeing? Yeah, it was. Um, it was just a couple of months after Beijing uh, that I got in a kayak for the first time. So I think it probably lit a little spark in mm. me watching it. And you, you kind of told me off air, but... Your first experience getting into one, you um, mentioned that you you fell out. Um, what what made you persevere? Because uh, <laughs> a lot of people give up. Yeah. I think it was a week long course to begin with, over like a school okay. holiday. And I was like, right, I've just got to get to the end of this week, and maybe it'll be a bit better. But um, I knew a few of the people that I was um, paddling with to begin with, so I think I was. I think I was in it for the socials, to be honest, that week. And, okay. and then they all said, oh, yeah, we're going to keep going. So I was like, oh, OK. Um, and those people are still some of my best friends just now. So um, I think, yeah, they were the ones that really <laughs> kept me going. Walk for us um, in the first, I guess, the first six months. So just talk to us about the first six months. Um, did you go through any trials, tribulations? Um, when did you see... I guess progression, yeah. Um, it, it'd be interesting to hear your first six months. Uh, I think <laughs> it was quite miserable, to be honest. I fell in all the time, and it's Scotland, so it's freezing cold. <laughs> and we started in October as well, so it was really a lose lose situation for me there. But um, yeah, we just had a lot of laughs. I think that was the big thing. Okay, yeah. Um, just really enjoyed once I was out on the water it took a bit of convincing to get me out on the water Mm. each session um but yeah then it started to um I remember getting a a phone call from our coach at the time and he said um oh how would you um feel about doing some land-based training because obviously it's getting cold and dark and um even more more wet than Scotland normally is during the summer so (laughs) um (laughs) I think when that element came into it, I was like, okay, this isn't just sitting in a boat and trying to balance and going in a straight line. It's actually got a lot of other things going for it. Um, I had that running element that I enjoyed or was good at at the time. And uh, we got to go in like a swimming pool and practice like rolling over and stuff. And um, I think it kind of built my confidence. yeah that more than anything I think that was the thing that that got me going Um, I think just seeing all the different elements come together yeah. Um, yeah. and then 
I guess a kind of a bit of a breakthrough moment for me was when I moved from like the the plastic kayaks that you start off as a junior in um into some of the I don't really they're carbon fiber boats, okay. but this was like yeah. between plastic and carbon fiber, these ones yeah. that we were using. And the one that I was given was gold and sparkly. So <laughs> I think that was <laughs> a bit of an incentive for me to get into it. Uh, so yeah, I think I started to feel a little bit more kind of like grown up. Um I think I've always thought of myself as quite mature for my age. So just kind yeah. of falling in all the time I was like oh this is just I just feel like a child but when I was in yeah. a kind of more professional boat or one that I'd maybe seen videos of I was yeah. like okay this is more like it this is more what I kind of want to do um, and again with yeah. that kind of like professionalism that I liked from swimming I was starting to see that through kayaking okay. What what age were you at when you started to like believe that potentially I could go to the Olympics one day? Oh, uh, about six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I think it just seems like such a a huge goal that I remember saying a couple of years ago I was like we were trying to qualify for the games in twenty nineteen. And I was talking to someone when we were at the World Championships that we were trying to qualify from. And I was like, I just can't actually envision myself, you know, going through kitting out, getting my accreditation, being in the village, those kinds of things that you, you see athletes posting about and talking about. I just couldn't envision myself there until um, I qualified this year and there was some Olympians coming up and talking to me and saying congratulations and kind of starting to feel like I belonged in that event, yeah. if that makes sense. Wow, wow. How did you prepare for your very first competitive race? Oh, uh, I think I had some, bearing in mind I would have been about 12. <laughs> uh, so I think I had some tablet which is like a scottish version of fudge oh, okay so it's just pure sugar yeah. so there was a lot of okay. it's really fueled by yeah. <laughs> some scottish home bacon um i think i was pretty nervous at the time but i was doing it with one of my best friends and uh, i think we just had a bit of a laugh to be honest mm. um i don't remember us doing very well but i think the previous or the following year we really stepped up and we were like, oh, can remember us last year and how nervous we were and how kind of amateur we felt. <laughs> and we all of a sudden thought we were like on top of the world winning under 14s, 500 metre racing. <laughs> <laughs> talk, us, talk to us a little bit about the cost impact, for, especially when someone's coming new into the sport. So with a lot of equipment, I'm, how how does it work with costs? Is it quite expensive or is it quite affordable? Uh, yeah, it's quite expensive. <laughs> um, mm. If you like are part of a club, for example, you're paying, oh, I don't know, about maybe £100 membership a year. And that can vary wow. from club to club. Some of the bigger ones will charge you far more, um, which is wow. maybe not all that much. And you can spread it out over the year and things. But 
once you start using your own equipment, that's when the costs really start to rack up. Um, you can't go anywhere without a car because you have to. You can't yeah. just put your boat on the train. You've got to <laughs> put it on a set of roof racks. The roof racks are costing money. Um, there's just and to race itself it's it's like seven pounds entry for a race and if you're racing five or six times over a weekend it all starts to really add up and then if you're wanting a top spec boat it's like with your own design as well it can be like three grand and paddles can range from a few hundred pounds to almost a thousand pounds so it does all really start to add up when you um when you look at it um but i think that is the annoying thing you can really see the difference in the equipment um, and the more expensive stuff is unfortunately the best wow because i was i think when you said it's about 100 pounds for the year i was actually going to ask um what comes with that what what comes with that membership does it come with you know your own bow um some of the clothing um can you just talk to us just I guess for myself, actually, what comes with that £100 membership? So that'll be your use of, um, like, maybe if the club's got a gym in okay. it. Um, uh, sometimes you're charged, if you're on a lake, you're charged for water usage. Okay. Um, you're also looking at where to store your boat. Yeah. Um, the use of crew boats, so K2s and K4s. Okay. Um, but generally, you use your own boat, um, unless you can kind of borrow one at the club. But most people will have their own okay. boat. So yeah, it doesn't. It gives it gives you a lot. It's probably well, it's far less expensive than getting a gym membership at like a a normal gym. But um, yeah. yeah, it doesn't give you all that much. Okay. How important is diet to you? Uh, I think my kind of philosophy on it is if I'm getting all the right stuff in, so like I'm getting enough protein and um, feeling myself with carbs and making sure I'm getting enough vitamins from fruit and veg and stuff, then if there's a cake, I'm going to eat it. I train hard. <laughs> so, um, and I think I'm I'm very conscious of hearing other athletes stories and especially female athletes and how it's affected their health not even just within their athletic career but um outside of that um so i'm conscious of not not getting myself into um a kind of a diet as such um i'm obviously not um I'm not excessive in in what I eat or with any treats or anything like that, but I don't deprive myself either. <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess you haven't seen a nutritionist. Um, have you had any advice from a nutritionist at all? Yeah, so um, I've worked with a nutritionist kind of on and off okay. for a number of years. Um, and more recently, been working with a nutritionist pretty much every two to four weeks um she's been like a really important part of the last year less so with um like day-to-day fueling but um more with kind of supplements and race day strategies and 
like at the games there was um I think there was about two to two and a half hours between my heat and my quarter final or between my semi and my final. It was a really awkward period of time yeah. um to fuel in. So uh that was a really important part of my prep for this year. But kind of outside of that, um my mum was always really good with with cooking for us and always gave us mm. really good meals mm. and I think I've learned quite a lot from her I've got a few of her recipes um, that I just batch cook and so I think when it comes to actual food and like when it's really hard training I don't have any troubles with getting enough stuff in um, but yeah the nutritionist has really helped with like all the all the little bits that I didn't really know much about okay okay so I know you've moved down to Nottingham. How how is it like being away from your family? Are you someone that um needs to be around your family or does does being around knowing what the the main course of you being in Nottingham, does it outweigh them not being there really? Uh yeah, I guess so. I mean at, in my head there's a bit of an end point to it, you know, within the next yeah. seven to eleven years whether I go to LA and, or one more, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can kind of see a bit of an end point with it, which makes it a little bit easier. But um, yeah, it's it's really hard. My family and I are pretty close. Um, yeah. And it's funny because every time I come home, it's like this huge big celebration <laughs> because we just all haven't been in one room together. Um, yeah. So this year I didn't see them from the 1st of January till I think it was like the end of June or July. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was really, really tough. I've never gone that long without seeing them. It's only ever been a couple of months at a time, but this was over half a year. Um, and that was really, really tricky. There's only so much you can do over FaceTime. Nothing really replaces yeah. sitting with your mum and dad. So, um, yeah, it's they're such massive supporters of me, and I couldn't could not do it like without a shadow of a doubt. Couldn't do it without them. I'm really really lucky to have a mom and dad like mm. them, and I know it's um I think I'm in quite a unique position with my family to be honest. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard, but um, if I've got a free weekend and I don't mind the ten hour round trip, mm. then I'll be up there. <laughs> as soon as I can what were some of your coping mechanisms for when you was deeply um, missing your family and you, you couldn't necessarily um, take that trip home um, what what were you doing to um, I wouldn't say suppress because I don't think that's a good thing but um, how did you cope with uh, missing your family yeah I think I phoned my mum about five times a day <laughs> <laughs> like that was my main coping mechanism I don't know if it helped her cope I think she was <laughs> driving a bit mad by it but um, yeah just keeping in contact with them as much as I can and like the people that I surround myself with down here become like family after a few years so I was getting to see see my friends um, which um, I think I owe a lot to my friends as well because I am so far away and some of their families become my kind of extended family yeah. so that's been 
a big part of it as well. But um, yeah, it's mainly just been keeping in contact as as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. What would you say is the biggest setback you've had and how have you overcome that? I think I've been pretty lucky in my career so far that I can't I can't really pinpoint one thing, I guess. I would quite quickly jump to the twenty sixteen um and not making the Olympics that year and kind of having a bit of a a down year, I guess, when it came to results. But that was off the back of me being in my final year of juniors winning medals thinking that I was on top of the world and then still only being 18 at the Olympic trials it was it was a pretty slim chance I mean myself and my partner were in really good form and we had a really good race and did everything that we wanted to do on the day but the other team were just faster um but that was the first time that I had really kind of like wallowed in a result. I was so, so, so upset. I never thought that I would be as devastated as I was. Um, But I think it only kind of made, I think it made me realise how much I really wanted to go to an Olympic Games. Um, And then kind of beyond that was just missing out on like automatic qualification from the world championships for Tokyo. Um but again I think it was another blessing in disguise. I don't think I would have been as quick as I was this year and and qualifying outright, you know, in my individual boat had it not been for for that. Um and learning things from my own experiences, yeah, but also from the girls that I was in boats with um, who were maybe a bit more experienced than me and have gone through it before and um, they were just a shoulder to cry on as well um, but I think it all as cliche as it sounds made me stronger and I think put me in the position that I was in this year to really go for it. What changes did you make from the setback of not reaching Rio? Um, what if you made any changes? Uh, I think I was only 18 at the time, so I think I was quite immature um, to be going to the games in the first place. I know there's plenty of 18-year-olds that, that do it, but I think for me, I wasn't... I think I, everything had come fairly quickly to me um, in my junior career. I've maybe only been working for about what's it, about roughly five years yeah. by the time I made my first junior world championships and for some other people that was up to eight years or even longer than yeah. that. Um and then another three years later it was, you know, winning medals. So yeah, I think that was the big thing was just kind of having a bit of a reality check with myself. Yeah. Um I was also at university that year as well. So that was a massive change for me, moving out of home for the first time. Yeah. Um, and I think there was there was just a lot of things mentally that weren't quite there for me yet. Um, but yeah, I just kind of pulled my finger out and it made me realise that I needed to 
change my attitude more than anything. Like this wasn't just going to come to me as quickly as maybe some other things had. Yeah. Um, So it's a bit of a realisation more than anything. How how did you balance university and training? Because I know it can be, obviously, third years very challenging so yeah how did you do that I didn't <laughs> that's the, the short answer um I was just not um I wasn't very organized and um, I was kind of burning the candle at both ends I was like yearning for this university life but also wanting to to still train really hard I wasn't in a sport that uh, has like a a big team like yeah like swimming or athletics or rugby or whatever, where there's a lot of people in the same position as you. Um, it was literally just me. I was the only person doing that um, at the university. Um, so I, I was, yeah, burning the candle at both ends is probably the best way to describe it. Um, and I also hadn't chosen, I was studying economics and it wasn't something that I really truly wanted to do. Um, I think I was looking for something generic that I wasn't going to have to do anything practical with, like <laughs> labs or anything like that, yeah. that I maybe would have preferred. Um, but yeah, that was a quick six months, a quick and stressful six months. Mm. Um, and then I was told that there was the opportunity to move down here. Um, so I was like, right, okay, let's just, <laughs> let's knock that on the head. It didn't work. Mm. Um so it was a really tough time. It was probably one of the hardest times of my life. Um, mm. And then between that, I had this dream of going to the Olympics and I just don't quite know where I was planning on fitting that in. So uh, there's a lot going on that year. Um, and now I do an online degree, which is far more flexible and chilled out than uh, what I was doing in Edinburgh. So... Um, I'm really glad that I did it though Um, I think I would have always been thinking oh what would it have been like and have I missed out on anything but um, no I'm far happier doing what I'm doing now and like I think it made me realize that I I want to be a full-time athlete it's a really unique and cool job Um, and I'd rather be doing that than (laughs) (laughs) is it it sports science because I think I was reading up is sports science is it sports science you're studying yeah. Okay, so have you used, um, or is there anything that you've learned in sports science that you're now utilising in your own sport? Uh, I think some of the psychology stuff, to be fair, okay. um, has been quite interesting to read about, just like um, when I'm sort of more of the science behind okay. it. So when I'm sitting on the line, what am I actually feeling? And I can kind of rationalise yeah. it a bit better. Yeah. Um, and then some of like the kind of like recovery things that has really come into it. Like um, you always get told, make sure you get protein in 20 minutes after your session or make sure you're feeling 20 minutes after your session. Okay. And I'm like, yeah. I don't understand why that is so important. <laughs> like, can I not just wait till I get home and I've got a shower and I've done X, Y, Z and then I'll sit down and eat my meal. Yeah. Um, so like learning about like the actual science of what's going on in my body after I've like, been in the gym or I've been on the water or running or whatever um yeah that's been quite interesting yeah 
for, for any elite athlete, the relationship they have with their coach is very important. How is the relationship you have with your coach? Yes, pretty good, I think. Uh, I sometimes call her mum because <laughs> <laughs> I see her more than I do my own mum. Um, so she was the, I guess, the second coach that I ever had, really. Um, yeah. And she's kind of seen me mature and as an athlete, but also as a person. Um, yeah. And we're quite involved in one another's lives okay. and um like she knows my family and if they'd ever down to see me they'll always ask to come and see Christina as well and um so it's more of a she knows how to put me in my place don't get me wrong yeah, but okay. it's more of a a partnership I think than a than a coach athlete relationship she consults me on absolutely everything but I will 99% of the time go yeah that's fine because I completely trust her and I think she's a very intelligent woman so and it's good to have kind of like a female female coach athlete relationship I think that's quite important for me um I think we just get each other on um a kind of more like personal level yeah. um and yeah I think it's I, I don't I can't see myself going to a different coach now um would be interesting <laughs> if I did I think that would be a whole different <laughs> a whole learning curve I think okay um I want to read a quote it's from yourself um from an article that I read it reads I've struggled with getting anxious before racing but I've worked so hard to sort out my headspace over the past year so my question would be what practical steps have you done what practical things have you done to um i guess reduce anxiety before racing um so i do think there was like a little bit of a switch in me this year that just sort of like calmed down and i had a bit of perspective i think we all gained a bit of perspective after yeah. 2020 didn't we mm. um yeah. so i do think it there was a bit of like a natural relaxation um but worked really hard with a psychologist um, and basically what it all came down to was perspective again um, mm. so I was asked what would you tell your great granddaughter as you're on your deathbed what are the three things that you have to do in your life yeah. um, and it was things like challenge yourself see the world and no, I can't remember the last thing, but it was like thing. It was quite like kind of generic, broad things. Yeah. Um. So every time that I was lining up on the line for a time trial, yeah. so like practice, or whether it was actual race distance or not, um, I was thinking, right, I'm challenging myself here. That that's all I'm doing. I'm just seeing how far I can push my body, mm. or mm. if I was. I remember getting on the water in Hungary before the qualification race a couple of days before and I was just feeling really really anxious and worked up and I was like okay don't get me wrong I've been to Hungary more times than I can count because <laughs> they always put on competitions yeah. there but I was like you're seeing the world here this is such a like a unique 
place for a British girl to come to. There's not that many people that can say mm. they've been to Zeged in Hungary. Mm. Um, and I think just, yeah, bringing it all back down to like a really simple level of you love racing. Mm. This is This is why you do this. It's why you ran cross country. It's why you went swimming because you love racing, and all that hard work that I've done. It's just all the cliches, really. But <laughs> all that hard work you've done is just preparing you so that you can have the best experience possible yeah. racing and yeah. what you want to do. Um, and yeah, I think that's been that's been the big thing for me, just gaining a lot of perspective and taking things back, stripping it back, okay. being really simple. Okay. Was there, was there any other tools that the sports psychologist was able to provide to you? Uh, I think they were probably quite sneaky ones that I maybe didn't realise he was okay. using. Um, there was a lot of sort of like activities that he would leave me with. Um, mm -hmm. But then there was also um, a bit of visualisation stuff that I did. So when... I qualified. I was lucky enough to have been to Tokyo in 2019 for the test event. So I knew what the course looked like. So anytime I was out on the lake, um, this also came from um, one of our Paralympic athletes, um, Emma Wiggs. She was the one that had um, shown me the picture that she was using um, of the bridge right at the bottom of the lake in Tokyo. So I just tried to envision that. And then when I got on the lake in Tokyo, actually, at the Olympic Games, I was like, that's just the sheds at Nottingham that are at the bottom of the lake. Um, so, yeah, that was, I think that was something that I kind of decided I was going to use because I'd listened to a few podcasts and read a few bits and that was something that kind of kept standing out to me. Um, I think another thing that was really helpful was the amount of times I'd run my race distance. I think by the time I got to the the Olympics this year, I'd done something like twenty five time trials over five hundred meters, and then like another fifteen or something over two hundred. Wow. So, like I, there was absolutely no reason that I should have <laughs> done anything different. Um at the games I still managed to to mess up my heat but um I think that was just a bit of first race nerves <laughs> um but yeah that was a that was a big key thing for me so I want to talk about this year I want to talk about <laughs> getting a bronze medal at the world cup in Hungary and then moving on to the Olympics um talk to us about you know the 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 emotions um, after receiving, after achieving a bronze medal, and how did you feel on a on a rank of one to ten? How confident were you in reaching the Olympics after um, achieving your bronze medal? Um, so I think moving through the heat and the semi, I was pretty. I think I was fairly chilled because. I'd done the Olympic qualifying event a couple of days before. Um, so I was like, all the pressure had come off me basically. Um, and I was just racing for practice for the Olympics at that point. Um, so I think it was probably the first time that I'd sat on a senior international start line mm. and gone, you know, just go for it. And not gone, oh, there's 
the Swedish girl next to me and the Portuguese girl next to me that are really, really quick. And um, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking if you stay within half a boat length of the Swedish girl, you know that you're going to be up there. And then all of a sudden I was ahead of the Swedish girl in the semi-final. Yeah. And um, it was just kind of like a, it just felt quite right. Like I just, it was almost where I expected myself to be without putting any pressure on myself, which was really strange. And then when it came yeah. to the final, it was really tight across the line. And um, I I wasn't sure at all where I'd, where I'd come. And I got called into the side for them to, um, weigh your boat and stuff and and I was like oh we're about to come thinking it was like middle of the road because all you heard was like beep, 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 beep. Mm. so I wasn't sure at all when um, our head coach at the time was like yeah second or third and I was just like no way that cannot be right mm. not after two years prior barely reaching the the B final and um. Yeah, it was just like a totally surreal experience. Um, but I think it gave me, because I obviously haven't had that that kind of medal winning feeling for six years. So it kind of gave me the, like like that's a really fun part of, of being an surreal. athlete. Like, yeah, it's you reaching your goals and everything, but like the hype that comes after it and like congratulating the other athletes and then congratulating you and getting in your tracksuit. Like I never get to wear my tracksuit. <laughs> it's only only <laughs> if we go on this podium that we get to wear the tracksuit. So like, and then it's even like going to doping control and stuff like that. Yeah, it's yeah. just like lots of little things that I was like, this is what all like the big leagues do yeah. and here's little me doing it. Um, so I think it really... I think it prepared me a little bit for the games because there is like that kind of yeah. hype around you, even if you're maybe not expected to get a medal or anything, you're still... I personally felt when I got to Tokyo that I was kind of on this level playing field with even, yeah. like, you know, people like Adam Peaty's walking past you and Dina Asher-Smith, and I obviously got that kind of starstruck feeling, yeah. but ultimately we were all just part of Team GB at that point. No one had won anything yet, um. So it kind of prepared me for that. That kind of feeling of of being part of something a bit bigger than just me training on my own in Nottingham mm -hmm. and and coming off the water and my teammates congratulating me. But mm. yeah, it kind of showed me what that like step up was like almost. Yeah. Yeah. Did it kind of give you an extra drive in training just before the games because you knew what you achieved? Yeah. Um, and I think had I just qualified, I say just qualified, I think our sport, I'm, maybe I'm being a bit biased here, but I think our sport is quite difficult to qualify in. Um, so I think had I just qualified, I would have been quite happy just enjoying the experience and you know, going through the, the training camp and everything and um, just being in Tokyo. But I remember about two weeks after, I'd maybe had a bit of an off day. Um, so this was about maybe six weeks to go to the games at this point. I threw a massive straw up and I was like, I don't just want to be 
there. Yeah. I want to be in the mix. Yeah. I want to be pushing for finals. I don't just want to be a qualifier. I want to be up there, you know. So it definitely gave me a push. Um, and then when we went to the World Championships about five weeks after the Games, I remember thinking, oh, the Worlds will just be like a bit of fun. But then I got three weeks before it and I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to be up mixing mm. it, trying to get medals. Um, so it's definitely changed my my mindset from just um, being happy to be there to to wanting to mix it with. Okay. The talk so I'm going to read another quote <laughs> from you. Um, okay. you. It reads, I don't have much natural talent. I need to work hard. So my question to you is, has that changed? Because you've got to an Olympic final. Now, surely you do have some form of a talent because it can't just be just 100%, you know, hard work. Surely there's got to be something in you that where you can admit to yourself I actually I do have a talent at this <laughs> uh, yeah I guess that I'm a li- li- I've got a bit of like a a bit of athleticism to me I guess mm. like uh, yeah like I was saying earlier like the running and the swimming came f- fairly naturally to me yeah. but um, I was never I was never the fastest swimmer. Um, I had to, I remember just having all these conversations with coaches about, and it's why I don't like people calling me Debbie because the swimming coach used to scream it down the lane to me when I wasn't doing butterfly right. And I was like, oh, I just can't do it right. I can't do it right. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I kind of stand by that, but, I do have to work really hard at things, <laughs> but I've done so many hours, particularly over the last 18 months, that mm. I don't think it's going to take me a while for me to lose my technique. It's such a technical sport that if if you're not quite connected, your boat won't run and then mm. there's no point in you taking or making a bit of separation between your strokes to let the boat glide because it won't because your feet aren't connected with your hips, aren't connected with your shoulders. And it's it's a really complex sport. Mm. Um so yeah, I guess I guess my my talent is working hard as well. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm a very stubborn person. I think mm. I let um I think I think I let things slide um but not with with sport and getting things right. I'm quite keen to stick at things until I can almost master it, which I'm still not there with, but I hope I'm on the way to. <laughs> How important is sleep to your performance? Yeah, massive, huge. Um, so even like I struggle quite a lot with, with my skin, with eczema, and that really impacts on my on my training sometimes but I know that if I get a good nine ten hours of sleep in it'll be much better the following day mm. so even if if that's the only thing that's that's making me go to bed and encouraging me to sleep then mm. um, it, it does make a huge difference um, and we do a lot of hours you know we're probably so on Monday I had like a 
75 or two 75 minute gym sessions and then we were out on the water for another 45 minutes so it does really add up um and sometimes my watch will say you need 65 hours recovery or whatever after mm-hmm. a certain session so like we do put our bodies through a lot which is probably the same for most sports people but um mm. yeah I, I do really value a good night's sleep it seems to make a difference in lots of aspects of training in my life as well mm. just a nicer person <laughs> i read at the at the olympics that you had seven races in four days um can you describe that experience in three words um, oh that's quite a hard one uh, exhausting <laughs> fun and I'm going to say easy, but not for not for physical reasons, more for mental reasons, okay. because I didn't have the chance to like come down and go, oh my God, I'm really tired. It was like, go, 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 yeah. go yeah. for four Fair days. Yeah. So mm. um, I think had I had a break of even a day in between my race and I would have gone, geez, that was a lot. <laughs> So I'm glad it was the way that it was. It was just, you know, hammering through them. <laughs> this is my last question to you. So in terms of your mindset, name three of the three things that stand out about yourself and why they stand out about yourself. So I think I'm quite a positive person. Um. I think I can kind of see uh, like the light at the end of the tunnel, um, which helps me get through sessions, weeks of training, blocks of training, um, and then competitions. Um, like even if I've not done what I maybe had wanted to do in a competition, I've still worked really, really hard for nine months or whatever it is. Um, and and I've got to the the end point, I guess. Mm. Um, whether it's what I wanted or not, I've still pushed my body and my mind to limits. Um, so yeah, I think I'm I'm quite a positive person. Um, I think I think I am stubborn with it. Um. But only because, uh, again, with this kind of perspective thing, I'm wanting to challenge myself. I want I want to see the world, and that is at the moment for me coming through the form of racing, world championships, world cups, yeah. and things. So it is like a a real drive for me getting to experience things that other people wouldn't, um, and also just kind of like following through with things mm. like I need to even when it comes to like if I'm doing housework for example I don't just do one room I end up doing like the whole house or I don't do it at all <laughs> so I think that's um yeah I think I am quite stubborn especially in in my sport um and I think I guess that it kind of comes out to like a bit of like a wider perspective like who I'm doing this for 
my family will tell me time and time again and my coach and my teammates that no you're doing this for you this is your thing this is what you want to do you're sacrificing or making choices about what you want to do but ultimately my I guess my heart is kind of going to I really want to make my mum and dad proud I want to see them like burst into tears when I cross the finish line at the Olympics or whatever and for them to just be just be so proud of me and 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 feel like it's their success as much as as mine as well and that goes for my teammates I remember seeing one of my teammates cross the line first in British selection and I felt like I'd won um so yeah I haven't if I'm able to replicate that feeling in my teammates and my coach and and my family and all the people that support me then um yeah I think that's quite an important one for me okay Deborah how can people get in contact with you uh through Instagram that's probably the easiest way I'm on that more than I care to admit and yeah really keen to you know have conversations with with people to open my eyes as well as hopefully give a bit of advice if I can to any upcoming kayakers or athletes of any kind so absolutely deborah thank you very much for accepting our invitation and congratulations congratulations on your bronze medal at the world cup and but equally congratulations you know getting to an olympic final so um you know these are feats that many people you know try to reach and many fail so um yeah you definitely deserve a lot of credit and at the tender age is it 23 you're 23 yeah, twenty four. Twenty four. Okay, so yeah, if I don't, if we don't speak to you before, then happy birthday. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you. So, um, that's still Ed. Probably another, at least another two more Olympics. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, definitely. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. Hopefully, indeed. So yeah, honestly, thank you so so much for coming on, and yeah, we will definitely be following your career. Okay. No, thank you very much. It's okay. If you are a regular listener, um, thank you and continue to share the content we are trying to improve. If there are any ways you um, want us to improve, please let us know. If you are a new listener, um, welcome aboard. And yes, start catching up. We've got a catalogue of recordings now. So yeah, please start from the very beginning. Until next time, guys, stay healthy, stay blessed.